Amen. Thank you. Um, children, kindergarten through third grade, you are dismissed for children in worship right through there. And uh, we will uh, um, step into a passage that really, uh, that last presentation was in dance and, and worship was, was perfect because we, uh, we see how when it comes to uh, um, particular topics, at times we come to Jesus not for Jesus but for answers. And that's a real problem when we come to him for answers instead of for him. And so we'll see that as we look in this this passage. And we start a series today where we ask you, what, what questions do you have? What questions do your friends have around what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? And so um, today we, uh, we're going to tackle um, or uh, talk about sex. Um, ever wonder about Christianity and sexuality? And as I was, you know, preparing and putting the words together and working through this, I realized, you know, the title that uh, have you ever wondered about Christianity and sexuality is rather broad, and uh, might even say an overreach. Um, uh, to talk about the whole of Christianity and sexuality would take a whole series of sermons. Um, and there's books to, to relate to that. So I'm thinking, you know, wait a minute. Let me sort of hone down here and say, really what this is about. What is the best understanding of what we as a church, as a particular church, a College Hill Presbyterian Church, and maybe as a denomination, as the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, maybe that would, would be a better focus. Say, this is what we believe that God has presented for flourishing humanity when it comes to sexuality. Um, and, and for us, our authority is God, who we believe has most specifically, um, uh, directly spoken to us through the Scriptures. Uh, through through the Bible, through God's written word. And so t- today, I'm really just going to seek to present the theological, biblical understanding of God's creation of se- human sexuality uh, based on a, a very high view of Scripture and uh, for the, the church, for us as a church. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus Christ? How, how do we help one another obey Jesus in a sense, that's what the purpose of the church is. To be a community of people helping one another to obey Jesus. Um, so, you know, I'm not really going to be try to make arguments necessarily or answer a lot of other questions, but just to present as, as clearly as uh, I can what I think um, Jesus teaches us. Um, about uh, human sexuality. And going to do so looking primarily at one passage, just digging deep into a passage, Matthew 19, um, uh, verses 1 through 12, found on page 824 of your um, Pew Bible. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth. And now... Um, we want to have uh, what was just danced for us, a heart that wants you uh, above all else. 
and that we, we want, Lord, for your spirit to work in us so that we, we come before you not trying to fix or justify ourselves or get the right answer, but we want to hear from you today what you would say for us today to glorify and honor you. Um, so free us, Lord, from all, all everything else and help us to hear um, and then do your bidding. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, Matthew 19, uh, Jesus is, uh, uh, he's just taught about uh, forgiveness. He's, uh, some of you may be familiar, it's a parable where Jesus uh, uh, tells a story about a king who forgave a servant and then, but the servant didn't forgive his fellow servants and he told them, you know, if God has forgiven you, then you are charged with forgiving whomever has done you wrong. And that's, that's his teaching right at the end of Matthew 18. Then he picks up in 19, um, and he engages with a crowd and he engages with the Pharisees. And Pharisees are a group of religious leaders of the day, as we'll see there, who are trying to test Jesus. All right, um, Matthew 19, starting with verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this Receive it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so you may um, be looking at this particular passage and say, all right, well, this seems to focus more about divorce and marriage than it does about sexuality. But just want to mention to you how Jesus quickly brings the two together. Granted, the Pharisees asked that initial question about, is it okay to, to divorce um, for sexual infidelity? And Jesus then um, quotes uh, Genesis 1 and talks about sex and marriage being intimately connected. When he says, a man shall leave his mother and father and join with a woman, they shall become one flesh, he is talking about the sexual union. That that sexual union is designed for marriage. 
And then he goes on to talk about sexual immorality being a possible cause for divorce or a reason to have a divorce. And then at the end, he brings up eunuchs um, who are those who never get married, who live a a celibate uh, life. So uh, Jesus quickly intertwines the two. All right, so let's let's walk through the, the passage. And so we got the crowd there that's gathering with Jesus, and there there you know there's a quick little sentence or two, but they're the example of those who are following after Jesus and finding healing. Uh, they're they're with him along the way. They're coming before him in uh, openness and in honesty. Compared to the Pharisees, who then were told are there seeking, Jesus, following after Jesus to test him, to trick him. They're, they're not with, with Jesus to, uh, um, to listen to him, to submit to him. They're, they're not with, with Jesus in order to, to, to change and be transformed and to go their way. They're trying somehow to manipulate Jesus so as to bless their desires, their ideas, and their commitments. And Jesus says some really hard things in all of his teachings. Um, he, he says, uh, you know, that uh, turn the other cheek when someone hits you on the cheek. He says to, to love your enemies, those that you're that are trying to harm you. you, you you're called to, to forgive them and to, to love them if you're going to follow after him. And he tells some of his followers, sell all your possessions and, and give away to the poor. So it's a dangerous thing to submit to Jesus. And so you can see why the Pharisees are coming there trying to manipulate him to bless his desires. Now, I'm sure none of us here do that. That we come to Jesus openly and honestly saying, you are the Lord of life and what you say is wise. What you say leads to the flourishing of life. So I want to, in the power of your Holy Spirit, totally submit to your ways. That, that's the appropriate way that we come to Jesus. And the Pharisees are giving us a great example of ways not to come to Him. And I do, um, again, to the folks that are in church, the folks that are here seeking to follow after Jesus, um, often the Pharisees are mentioned as a good corrective to us. And the Pharisees aren't there to make us feel good about ourselves. The Pharisees are there to say, how are they a, an example of how we can come before Jesus, asking, wanting Him to bless our desires instead of us submitting to His. All right, so the the Pharisees come to to Jesus wanting to test Him, and then, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, there's a lot going on behind the scenes here between different groups of of, uh, Jews in that day trying to discuss what what, uh, is appropriate for divorce and what isn't appropriate for divorce. Some want to say, for any reason, for burning the toast, literally. That's a a quote from a rabbi. And if your wife burns the toast, then you can divorce. Um, Other Others want, others want to say, and it was definitely a different day. I'm in no, I'm just reporting what was historically going on in those days. No way affirming it. Um, others wanted to say, now uh, you can only divorce for sexual immorality, for sexual infidelity. And so the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus in the midst of this squabble. 
Um, and so Jesus then responds uh, to them by quoting Genesis chapter 1. But you got to love, don't you? The opening little dig. Um, have you guys not read your Bible? You know, have, have you all read Genesis 1, you know, the very beginning where this is how God created marriage? From the very beginning, this is how it was. So he takes a little dig at them, again, realizing that they're coming to test him instead of to serve him, instead of to follow him. Um, and so he goes back to Genesis 1, which I would say that that's part of where we get our, our knee-jerk reaction is to do the same. To follow Jesus. When Jesus is in the midst of these things, what does he do? He goes to the Word. Goes to the Scriptures. And so we follow him and do the same. Um, so in the beginning, the God made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, there's a whole, that's a whole lot. There's a, that's chock full. That's a whole series of sermons that we could do in this day. But I'm going to try to focus particularly around sexuality. Um, but you notice a, a, a number of things here. One, that uh, God creates humans as male and female. And in this, in this age, there's a whole lot of questions, a whole lot of concerns around, well, is there such a thing as male and female? Is there not? Um, and the good thing is, nobody asked that question, so I'm not gonna answer it right now. Um, and I'm gonna answer the question at hand, but I do want to state clearly that the whole notion of gender dysphoria is a real condition where the, the, our, bio, our biology, our organs and hormones and chromosomes do not align appropriately with a sexuality. And that is a, a serious condition that must be addressed and not demonized, but understood with this reality. That God has created us male and female. And so in, in grace, we have to venture into that. But... Um, like I said, you know, I, I'm going to have a hard time getting through this this morning in the time allotted. Um, so I can't go into that, but not in any way to demean that reality. But the, the things that he does say here is he created marriage to be between two humans who are male and female. And that that union is never to be separated by humans. So he taught that it's between a male and female, um, that not same sex. Taught that it's between a male and female, so monogamous, not many husbands or wives, not more than two. And that it was not to be broken until death do you part. So the Pharisees came back to him. Well, why did Moses... Now, get what, what they said to him. Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Again, he's relating back to a passage in Deuteronomy and the issues of the day. And this is what Jesus says. It was because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed this. Again, he says, it was not the case from the beginning. It was not God's original design. 
And again, he takes a little dig here. He doesn't say because of their hardness of heart, their stubbornness, their rebellion, because of yours, because of ours. Because of our sin, our rebellion, God, through Moses, accommodates to our brokenness in order to meet us in our sin, in our evil, and lead us into the way where we flourish. Again, Jesus reminds us with the Pharisees, are, are we seeking God in order to justify our own lives? Are we seeking Jesus to hear his unadulterated truth, to submit to him, receive the power of his spirit, and receive his forgiveness, receive his transformation, and move forward in life, enjoying and seeking him above any and all things? Or do we want God to affirm our desires, our dreams, our plans to somehow justify our sin instead of submitting to his perfect wisdom? Jesus also corrects the the Pharisees here. No, Moses didn't command them to get a divorce. He allowed it. It It wasn't something they had to do. Even though that was some of the other teaching of the day. That if, if um, and in that day, if the woman had an adulterous relationship, then the man was, some taught, commanded to divorce her. Jesus is coming back to them and saying, no, there was no command here. It's an allowance, but it's not, again, it's not the design. But because of your hardness of heart, for out of compassion and grace, God teaches something that was radical in the first century. Actually, to protect women. And that he, he said, no, we can allow for divorce. Because can you imagine if, the, if they said, no, you can never divorce. And a sinful man in his hardness of heart, had decided he wanted to discard his wife. But all the rules said, no, you can't. Could you imagine being that woman? It's it's hard enough to live with with a man uh, who has a soft heart, let alone one with a hard heart. And so, out, (laughs) amen on that. That's rare in first service. Um, The, uh, but he said, no. You, you can be released. And on top of that, you, if you're going to discard her, then you must give her a certificate of divorce so that she can now remarry or, or she's not damaged property, just discarded to the street. Because in the first century, it, it was a patriarchal society. It was not easy being a woman in the first century. I hear it's not easy these days either. My wife and my daughters remind me. Of that, but in the first century, that was a sentence of death to then be discarded and thrown to the streets. So, out of grace, out of recognizing the hardness of heart of the people, God allows for divorce. Then, um, it goes, but, uh, and I, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. 
Now, um, you, you can read this and see that Jesus is now giving an exception. Well, so you can get divorced for sexual immorality. But I, I think what Jesus is saying here, and it could be better translated, um, that uh, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery unless sexual immorality has already occurred. The, the accept is that if, if you've had adultery, but then if you divorce and remarry, there's already been adultery. So you can't cause adultery if it's already occurring. He's not giving an exception clause. Now, again, take a step back and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a little bit. God has already given an allowance for divorce. But what Jesus is telling the Pharisees, this was God's original design. That marriage, that sexuality be between a man and a woman in a committed relationship, in a covenant relationship until death do them part. And the Pharisees, and they're looking for some set of rules that they can follow so that they feel justified in their actions are not going to get any approval from Jesus. What Jesus desires are people who then fall at his feet, who are committed to him, to follow him, to love him, who live in his grace and mercy and forgiveness and the power of his resurrection. Now, part of the reason that I think this is because of the response of the, of the disciples. Now, this is the disciples that say to him, Whoa! If this is the case, then let's just forget this marriage thing altogether. I mean, if there's no escape clause, then I don't want anything to do with this. And Jesus said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And then he talks about eunuchs. Eunuchs, uh, men who cannot participate in sexual activity or who choose not to. Celibate. There are folks who are eunuchs who've been so from birth. There are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by men. And in that day, kings would have a servant become a eunuch so that he could then care for the king's harem. So that's what he's referring to there. And there are eunuchs who've made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. So God's gift of sexual union is meant to be enjoyed within the marriage relationship of a man and a woman. And it's been that way since the beginning. Now, if this is true, This is what Jesus teaches. Man, there is sexual sin all over the place. (laughs) Right? Everywhere. And, and And if you feel like, well, somehow you've avoided it, let me remind you of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. To look on another for sexual pleasure or arousal is sin. When you purposefully look at another in that way, then you're in the same group as all the others that Jesus is mentioning here. 
Now, the attraction itself isn't sin, but the temptation to, to feed that attraction is sin. As I've heard it said before, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. So if this is our understanding of sexuality, then yeah, we recognize there is sexual sin all over the place. But you know, we don't need to even give the adjective sexual. That may be part of the problem. There is sin all over the place. There's disobedience all over the place. In me and in you, that's why we gather every Sunday and we have a time of confession and forgiveness because we recognize that. And one of the issues that we face today is in order to make us feel better, we try to lower God's perfect design so that somehow we can meet it or get closer to it instead of keep it where it is and recognize that we all are like the Pharisees with hardness of heart in needing of God's grace and mercy and that we want Him and that we fall at His feet because He is the one who brings us our righteousness. He is the one who gives us forgiveness and leads us into life that we don't deserve but because He loves us. Another problem is that we have delineated and separated certain sexual sin that we have made same-sex activity somehow more sinful than opposite-sex activity. And they're not. They're the same. They're, They're all, if they're outside of what God had intended from the beginning, then it is because of our hardness of heart. That in our lust, whether it's same sex or opposite sex, in our sex outside of the marriage bed that God has designed, then all of that is because of our hardness of heart and sin. And for any and all who are here seeking to follow Jesus, and you believe, yeah, this is true, and then you're feeling guilty about something. I know I did, and I do. (laughs) This is a hard sermon to prepare. Just because I had to look in the mirror. But whether it's lust, divorce, adultery, pornography. Whether it's with people or with screens or dolls. The same message is for all of us that we confess our sin. That God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. That he has taken our guilt and sin down to death and destroyed it at the cross. And he has demonstrated his victory over our sin and guilt by the power of the resurrection. We were just celebrating with all the flowers last Sunday is just as true today. And it is freeing and it is real. And the, the, the guilt that I keep on myself and that maybe you keep on yourself really speaks to the fact that I'm trying to develop my own righteousness instead of recognizing my own unrighteousness and receiving Jesus fully and totally. Maybe that's the same for you as well. I mean, remember God's accommodation. He leads us in our disobedience. He truly does love and care for every person He's created in our weakness and disobedience. And we can come to Him and confess without fear. He doesn't punish us when we come in honest confession. Now, there may be consequences for our sin that we have to live into. I mean, I remember a couple times as a parent with younger children where I knew something about my children that they didn't know I knew. 
and they were going to come confess to their uh, to, to Kathy and I, my wife and I. I will say this: there are redeeming aspects to Facebook. Just that's that's a hint as to how we knew this. Um, and what I wanted from them, I didn't want to punish them. We didn't want to. We wanted honest words from them. We wanted sincere desire, to a, a sorrow, a remorse, and, and a desire to to change. Seeing the error of their ways and, and changing their direction. And that's what God desires. And brothers and sisters, that's what the church is supposed to be. Not a community of people who are righteous in their own right, but a community of people recognizing our own hardness of heart, our own unrighteousness, helping one another to follow Jesus. So what if this is the case, this is what Jesus teaches, then what does this mean then for us as we move forward as, as a church? One, it means singleness and marriage have equal value before Jesus. I mean, you see the value he gives to both. Both are a gift and a commitment. Singleness, when he, the, the whole issue about the eunuchs and being celibate, I mean, that is a gift and that is uh, the, the last, that is about a commitment that you have made to the kingdom of heaven. And, and marriage is a gift and a commitment till death do you part. The, Jesus lifts them both up equally. And, and the, actually in the churches, uh, the, the Christian church, our history, for the first 500 years, marriage was for wimps. Singleness was for the real apostles of Jesus. Literally. I mean, you go read Tertullian. I mean, he, he talks about the, the wimps of those that have to get married. Now, that's just an error in the opposite direction of our error today, where we tend to lift up marriage and see singleness is not the gift and honor equally. That's what Jesus does here. As it comes, what about same-sex attraction and marriage? Now, there's some in the larger Christian church who believe that same-sex unions are an accommodation just like divorce. Um, I can understand that. We as a denomination of church can understand that, but we disagree. We, we don't see that accommodation anywhere biblically. And as Jesus said, this is from the, the beginning what God has designed. But I will say this today. For the church today, particularly around same, those that, that are attracted to the same sex, I think that I'm, I'm thankful for the progressive movement that has brought same-sex attraction out of the closet. I'm thankful for that because it humanizes a group of people who were for a long time demonized. It, it brings that disordered desire, just like my disordered desire to have sex with more people than my wife, it brings that disordered desire into the open. As, as a human uh, brokenness and fallenness. And so how then do we as a church help one another either live in marriage as God has designed it or in singleness as God has so gifted? And not demonizing one or the other. And I actually have three different folks, so uh, some that I know really well, where... Um, who are one of the, cu- one of the couple is sa- has same-sex attraction. But they're married to someone of the opposite sex. 
And that's known and supported and helped in their, their church. And I don't think that would have been possible without recognizing, making, undemonizing same-sex attraction. One is Jerry Armelli, who's at Prodigal Ministries. It's in our counseling center. And if you or anyone you know same-sex attraction and you want to engage, what, how, how do I live? I, and I believe this is what Jesus teaches and I want to follow Jesus above all things. Jerry's a great person to connect with at Prodigal Ministries, to really connect with folks throughout the city who have that same commitment and that same attraction. And, you know, it's, it's funny, one um, uh, of the uh, uh, couples that, that I, I know, um, you know, they'll be watching, tell, tell the story of they're watching television, and the, the woman will talk about how one of the people on TV is really hot. You know, really, uh, um, and, and then the man will jump in and say the same thing. And it's sort of humorous, but they, they know and understand one another. He doesn't have to hide that anymore. And they've been married for 20 years. Have children, raising children. That, that's what the, the, the church is, is to be. It's to be a community where we help people either in their singleness or in their marriage. Whatever their attraction might be. Recognizing this is what Jesus teaches. Now, about d- divorce. Again, when we marry, make a promise to love and care for one another, to be committed to one another till death do us part. However, there comes time because of our hardness of heart and the evil of the world around us that I personally have counseled, in, in my case, almost always women, that now it's time, the most loving thing you can do, do is divorce your husband. Because you, you have tried every, uh, you've tried everything you could. And in every case, there was either physical abuse, it was an addiction, um, or it was desertion and, and infidelity. And out of protection for you, for your children, and actually for your spouse. Because it's not loving to let someone come back and abuse you. It's not loving for them to enable them in their addictions. Whether it's pornography or drugs or alcohol. It's, it's not loving to do this. And sometimes, as part of the accommodation, you have to say, this, this is over. Out of love. Now, um, a number of other um, issues and, and concerns that are around this, a lot that I've uh, addressed. But this is what the, the church desires um, to be. To be a community to help one another follow after the teachings of Jesus. As, as crazy and radical as they may be. And, and in the end... Almost everybody has limits for human sexuality. just depends on where you put them. There's very few people that are like, well, yeah, sexuality is just free for all, whoever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Everyone has limits. And it's a sad thing that we come to sexuality to say, well, where are the appropriate limits? So that's why I didn't want to go there. I really wanted to frame this as a way. Now, how do we unabashedly follow Jesus? And what he teaches. Because that's what we're about as a church. How do we think about this positively? Not trying to change people out there, but be the people Jesus is calling us to be as a church. And for those that are here as guests, just saw it on the, um, the, uh, 
uh, you know, the sign outside. It didn't, you can at least what you, what I've hoped you heard is, okay, this is how this particular church understands what Jesus means about human sexuality and where that leads to human flourishing and pleasure. And if you want to recognize the pleasure of sexuality, just go to Song of Solomon chapter six and you'll, you'll see that uh, there as well. And, um, and if this has raised issues for any of those here, particularly around sexual addiction, around pornography, around identity, your identity um, as it relates to sexuality, they'll, uh, uh, Joanne and Terry, Joanne Samad, or Joanne Cornelius and uh, Terry Fisher will be outside and they're part of Pure Hope Ministry, which is also, we get to house them as well in our facility with all kinds of resources for families, and for um, individuals as well. So there's Pure Hope, and there's also Prodigal Ministries that I mentioned. Again, you can Google either one, or I've got a couple. If you uh, want the information from Prodigal, I've got a couple copies from uh, Jerry about that as well. But I want to close with this. And it's particularly to the church. How can we become a place that helps one another flourish in Jesus? Not worried about questions about what the limits are or where the dividing lines are or how we can justify ourselves or how we can win an argument. But how do we together help one another in honesty, not just in our sexual sin, but in all of our sin, to approach Jesus in submission and love, wanting to help each other obey His wisdom as a witness to the world that Jesus leads us into life and life to the full. Him and Him alone. Amen.